I drank a whiskey shot through an ice block with a like a stream carved out of it today or yesterday. Well, you can talk about films with a philosopher's zeal or measure them all by box office appeal. But for once in your life, be real. Welcome, one and all, to Be Real Guys. It's a movie podcast. Do I say that enough? I'm Chance Solomon Pfeiffer. And I'm Noah Ballard. And uh, all rise because the court is proverbially in session. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Um, with Justices Ballard and Solon Pfeiffer presiding, I would imagine. Right. Please don't make me your bailiff. Can we be, I would, I, can we be co-justices? I feel like we're, uh, yeah, we're, we're co-justices in the Supreme Movie Court. <laughs> Thank God. Though you're often the dissenting opinion. It does seem like sometimes you back me into a corner and I'm the... Uh, I'm the curmudgeon. I'm the Scalia of the uh, right. You're the <laughs> you're the inserted Scalia of uh, of be real guys. I didn't want this because I I have John Roberts complexion, but I guess I know where I stand. Right. Well, I have the uh, you know the striking mustache of a uh, Clarence Thomas. So, <laughs> do you have a mustache right now? Is that what you got working? Yeah, I'm I'm rocking a pretty good mustache. I think that's good. Did uh, yes. anyone see it during your nice weekend that you're going to tell the people about now? Naturalistically, one would imagine that anyone who encountered <laughs> me saw saw my mustache uh, in its uh, in its glory. Uh, yeah, it was just this weekend down in Clemson, South Carolina. Watching the uh, number one ranked Clemson Tigers defeat uh, the not as highly ranked Florida State Seminoles. Yeah, was it a good game? A little more defense. It was a little more was, defense probably than uh, Clemson would have liked. Um. Oh, you mean from the Seminoles? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and there. I mean, the second play of the game was the Seminoles running it for like eighty-five yards. Right. So that wasn't great. Um. But yeah, after a little uh, rocky start. Uh, Clemson put it away in the fourth quarter, and uh, yeah, we stormed the fields. You did talk to some of the players. Yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty wild. That's I amazing. Had a great time. Yeah, I'm. Uh, in addition to being obsessed with uh, the cinema, I'm also obsessed with college football. You really are. This year, probably more than ever. Would you agree? Oh yes, my my addiction has uh, has hit its peak. You know. But how about those goddamn Huskers? Yeah, man, that was, that was I did not watch the game, but good for them. How did you not watch the game? Didn't uh, didn't your lady friend sort of I dr- make you? I dragged her out to uh, the Portland Literary Festival Wordstock, and we saw some cool readings. Oh yeah, how uh, how was Wordstock? It was cool, man. Uh, it was a ton of people. I don't really know what I was expecting, but there were a yeah. lot, a lot of people. We saw. Uh, Justin Taylor read a couple times and then we watched uh John Irving basically like wrestle this interview away from the uh local NPR affiliate and just like talk uh off the top of his head for like an hour so it was fun that's amazing I would love to watch John Irving do anything it was a good time yeah good that's cool yeah I'm glad you attended I'm glad it was a it was an educational experience. Um, and good thing, you're a good boyfriend for potentially distracting your girlfriend from, you know, what was almost assuredly <laughs> a t- devastating loss. Right, yeah. It wasn't too tough a sell to get out of the house because they right. were Hey, really do you not want to watch uh, Nebraska lose by 55 to... Uh, a defensive yeah. powerhouse? The, yeah. Yeah. And... Uh, you know that Connor Cook isn't anything to sneeze at either. No, he's not. But I tell you, if it wasn't for a prayer, a dream, and some shoddy officiating, <laughs> we never would have pulled that one off. <laughs> yep, and a fleeting understanding of what a push out of bounds means. Yeah, that's funny. It's not their place to decide what the physical contact was, Chance. No. Or so the Big Ten reported this morning <laughs> in an effort to make their conference look like not such a joke today. Oh, but it is our place to decide, Justice Ballard, uh, the fate of the three 
films that we're talking about today based around the theme of attorneys out of their depth in well over their head. Yes. We watched the uh, the new Spielberg Tom Hanks film, Bridge of Spies. We watched 1992's A Few Good Men, Tom, uh, Tom Cruise and Jack Nicholson. And uh, then in a late sub for Michael Clayton, which as I told you when you texted me this good idea, I would have been pissed at you if it wasn't a, such a good idea, we watched uh, My Cousin Vinny. Which I had never seen. Me neither. Where do you want to start, buddy? Well, why don't we start with uh, the contemporary one? Uh-huh. The one set in the 1960s. <laughs> yes. Um, but as relevant today as it was then, um, because of how pro-American it is in every way. Um, you know what holds us together, Chance, not only in this podcast, but in our friendship, is the goddamn U.S. Constitution. <laughs> sure. Um, so... You want to jump off that and give us a, a little synopsis? Uh, I can attempt to do that. So, Soviet spy Rudolf Abel is uh, arrested uh, by, I think, the CIA in Brooklyn in the, in the late 50s. And basically, the government and everyone <laughs> wants to fry this dude. And but because we have a justice system in this country, he needs a fair or at least what they're hoping is just a nominal uh, defense to keep the appearance of fairness intact. And so an insurance lawyer, Jim Donovan, played by Tom Hanks, who's a successful insurance lawyer, but not a not a trial lawyer at all, is uh, asked Basically, just as a favor uh, for to his firm, gesture of goodwill, just defend this dude, and he will be found guilty, and you can go on about your way. And here's like a nice pat on the back. Um, so, and then he, Jim Donovan, doesn't take kindly, I guess, to sort of the Cold War under the surface espionage interplay that's going on, um, and sort of sees some holes in like the search warrant that like got Rudolph Abel here. And I guess I'm talking really. Chronologically, ultimately, what happens? Uh, the U two famous uh, U two uh, spy plane crashes in Russia in 1960. They need to swap the fallen pilot for this Rudolf Abel, who he successfully kept from being uh, executed, and he also negotiates their swapping. It's interesting that you sort of blundered your way through that synopsis because uh, it's a tough movie to describe. Because it is sort of like almost two movies. Oh, it, there's at least two movies in here. Well, see, that's the thing. I realized, like, I was thought. I think I was giving a pretty decent synopsis of the the first third, and then all of a sudden, this other movie. And then you like realize a, that that's not the major <laughs> conflict of the film. Yeah, like a crashing U two spy plane. The actual movie crashes into this movie. Yeah. Yeah. I love that that sort of moment about 15 minutes in, where it was like later that afternoon at the Supreme Court. You know. <laughs> Yeah, um, it's not super well paced in that way. Well, I feel like it just it it endeavors to set up so much exposition for a movie that could easily like not have done that. Yes, that like the pacing of the first like twenty to thirty minutes, and this is a long motherfucker. Two and a half. Steven Spielberg directed this movie. He sure did with uh, longtime collaborator. Uh, Mr. Thomas Hanks. Yes, he did. Uh, and this is such a Hanks character, it's... you know, like like a pretty successful, though middle-of-the-road guy with unshakable ethics. Yeah. He just gets, like, <laughs> thrust into a position he, like, can only sort of be a martyr in. Yeah. So, I mean, it's basically mm. his character, had he lived from... Uh, Saving Private Ryan comes back to the states and then just starts taking up the cause of like rigid constitutional ethics. You've been selected for a mission which you are not to discuss with anyone outside of this room. We are engaged in a war with the Soviet Union. This war does not for the moment involve men at arms. It involves information. I gotta say though, <laughs> I didn't find that to be that exciting. 
Oh. No, it's a it's like it's kind of like a Hanks on Hanks retrospective. <laughs> I love that. You know, like he's he's goofy at times, he's serious at others. He doesn't really do a whole lot of work, but damn it, this is an important movie and yeah. he's going to toe the line. The thing that I like struggle to make it past as this movie kind of stretches out into its full two and a half hours is the script which I think is very dull for a Coen Brothers script because they wrote this with uh, right. the guy whose property it was, I think, Chartman. Um, yeah. Well, they sort of like maybe made it more fun. Yeah, they might maybe punched it up a little bit. Um, I mean, they definitely added that like that bit of uh, Mark Rylance going, "Will it help?" That's very Coen Brothers. Um, right. But other than that, like it's a it's a pretty. Uh, this is the kind of script that unless there's something else interesting going on, like you're in, you're in shaky territory. You are. It's really true. But th- this is the thing though. Like if you're not, if you haven't stopped thinking once you've seen the signifier of Tom Hanks, there's no real reason that's well explained for why Jim Donovan actually like does the last two hours of, the, of this movie. Like I get, he is a guy who like wants to do the people at his firm and his country a favor. But other than like a CIA guy kind of like pissing him off with like a little bit of an affront to uh, the idea of due process. Once he gets done at the, uh, the sentencing for Rudolph Abel, there's really no reason he should go to the Supreme Court. Never really talks about why he goes to the Supreme Court or why he goes to East Germany. He just, like, really does it because of something that, like, has been coded into our understanding of, like, what Tom Hanks would do. Yeah, he's become sort of this, like, Spencer Tracy, like, of this (laughs) generation. Like, he's at that point in his career where, like, I mean, the country just loves him. I mean, even in, like, the Simpsons movie, they, like, make fun of the fact that, like, he could literally be in favor of anything and we'd probably believe in it. Sure. Um, so, yeah, he's picking sort of these, like, legacy roles. And I don't know. I mean, I think it, you know, maybe Steven Spielberg, like, made a call to the Coen brothers. He's like, you don't have to make it so witty. Hanks has already signed on to do it. Yeah. Like, we don't need so many character development scenes. Uh, it is Tom Hanks, after all. The Russians want their man back before he cracks. We want you to negotiate the swap. I'm an insurance lawyer. Well, that's why I sort of said, like, the movie hits its stride once they get to um, East Berlin. Because I think, like, the political thriller is, like, far more tense than, like, any of the Tom Hanks, like, standing on a soapbox kind of aspects of this movie Mm. um like i like it once he's there i mean once we believe like he is who he is and that he's not gonna give up on like getting what he wants once it gets there it's like some it takes some pretty interesting twists and turns um with laced with like a spielbergian sense of history in there like so much (laughs) so like you get what's going on, but at the same time, like if it's inconvenient for the plot, like things can abruptly shift without any explanation. Well, for instance, that the uh, Berlin Wall is like built in a day. Right. It's like, hey guys, like get your get, get the strongest people in the city together. We're building a wall, <laughs> and then like if you yeah, can get he, through like, before the, they put the biggest cinder block down. I hope my, you can go. Yeah, I hope my bicycle can get through this major block that you haven't walled off yet oh wait i had a 10 minute phone conversation (laughs) now i can't get back Uh, a phone conversation most likely with a german person who's speaking not only english but probably with an english accent right but anyway yeah i mean but i thought those moments were kind of like the most interesting of the film and they're very tense i mean spielberg's so good at like creating tension and like throwing things at you when you feel like you're safe. Like there's a really good sequence when Tom Hanks is like already stressed out about like trying to save these two Americans, uh, from the depths of both communism and like, like unsustainable bureaucracy. Mm-hmm. And he's just like on that subway, he's on that elevated train and he just sees like two people get murdered. Yeah. And of course, like he's, he's just able to convince you in this sort of like master of pop cinema way um that uh, that you know actually takes more work than it looks like it does like the just the settings and the detail to 
uh, crumbling East Berlin and the jails and like what their embassies look like. He's I don't know if, right. I don't know if you would say he's able to put you there, but he succeeds as he always has in being able to put you like somewhere of his own imagining. Right. I mean, there's an authenticity to a Spielberg movie that you can't quite challenge. What, and didn't you feel like this movie like had this sort of like this is a historical movie patina on it. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Oh, 100%. Like it had that like it was definitely like in the same universe as Munich. Absolutely. Yeah. Just you know. Yeah. Well, I don't know what my question is and I think we can get to our ratings after this. But like what is the purpose of like Spielberg telling us so much like history that makes his sort of like political points? I mean, it's interesting that you frame it that way because one of the like the uh, my other major thing that I do not like about this movie is that, I mean, kind of other than Munich, I would say when he makes realist movies, he's interested in movies that are like morally simple, and I did not yes. I did not like the idea of this kind of visually, narratively, thematically complicated worldview. Um, of the Cold War and like where Jim Donovan has to go being like boiled down into something that like we can basically wash our hands of no problem. The movie washes our hands for us. It's like this this movie where this guy gets like sucked into this kind of like rabbit hole of like um, predatory government agencies and like what's the worst thing that happens? Like dude gets a cold. Like this is Steven right. Spielberg like turning the Cold War into like a World War II morality system and I didn't appreciate that. Well, I think it's also interesting that, like, you can't have it both ways. You can't have characters that are so simple in a movie that's this long or it becomes boring. That's that's a great, simple way of putting it, yeah. Because, I mean, like, if you look at, you know, the movies I was describing earlier, you know, Jaws is not that long of a movie because, like, the characters have very simple needs. Sure. To live. And, like, they go about, <laughs> yeah, to live. I mean... To hunt, and but then to live. Right. And then, yeah, this one... I mean, this guy, as a human being, must have been more morally complex of like, well, I've spent 10 minutes with this guy and he's shared his life with me and now I got to see this through to the end. <laughs> you know, and give me the bicycle guy, too. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, give me that goddamn bicycle guy. I'm not leaving without the bicycle guy. Oh my God. He's a student, that damn it. He's at the beginning so of his life. jammed in. I mean, they had to because it was like a true story, but um, mm, did they? I, it didn't feel much of a connection to the fighter pilot either. Like I was at the end, I was like, just get one of them, like whatever. <laughs> right? Maybe keep Rudolph. He seems nice. Right? Maybe like we keep him in America, and he like, you know, we be friends with him. Yeah. We learn something from him, if not about the Soviet plan, then at least about humanity. <laughs> right? Yeah, and it's just. Let me let me read this to you. This won't this should make sense to anyone who saw the movie and won't spoil anything who doesn't. But like just the amount of like old artist like this is how you like stack the blocks and end up a movie. Let me read you the things that this movie takes from like narrative anecdotes and like w- the movie will not end until it has revisited and bookended these things. Why worry? Standing man, the marmalade, lying down in bed newspapers on a train and people jumping over fences like the the movie will not end oh i hated that when have its last when it parallels the him taking the subway into new york so much but but like that's the thing it's like it's indulgent but like in such a boring way like why why do you want to indulge something that's so boring i think this movie is quintessential good bad okay because, like, I mean, it's Steven Spielberg. It's everyone from the cinematographer, as we talked about, and the, uh, the composer, all the way down to the best boy and the key grip were, like, the top <laughs> people for this movie. Like, Steven Spielberg gets what he wants. Yeah. And he makes good movies. Uh, it's on a technical level, which is how we rate them. But on an entertainment level, yeah, I'm glad that I saw it. And it was nice to like know about this like esoteric moment in American history, uh, in the form of a film. But I don't think I would watch it again. No, I probably would not even like recommend it to people. Um, okay, yeah, that's where I am. And I'm gonna. I'm. I think I will say I will be polite and give it, 
good bad as well be polite to a movie that's polite right back at you right, well put yes i'll be polite it closes every door and opens God. you know and puts the dishes away for you don't worry about it <laughs> So my cousin Vinny, the uh, the next on the docket here. Yeah, nice. The uh, lawyer out of their depth is uh, Joe Pesci. You synopsize this one. It's pretty easy to get from A to B here. Yeah. Uh, two guys from New York get uh, accused of a crime they didn't commit, and the hilarity ensues when their uncle, Uncle Vinny, the titular Uncle Vinny, <laughs> cousin comes. <laughs> Or the, sorry, my Uncle Vinny. The titular cousin Vinny uh, comes down from Brooklyn as well and attempts to defend these two boys in a very stereotypical southern Alabama town. Beecham County, Alabama. So would you say you got a better shot at them going in and not so much coming out? You could say that. I did say that. Would you say that? Yeah. Is it possible... The two Utes. Uh, uh, to what? Uh, what was that word? Uh, what word? To what? What? Did you say Utes? Yeah, two Utes. What is a Ute? Oh, excuse me, Your Honor. Two youths. So this movie came out in 1992. It's an. It's a. F- it's an interesting movie because it would never be made today. Nope, no way. Um, because you'd never see a movie of this kind that is like based on sort of like American cultural displacement, but is right. like, but is so nice to everyone that like it would it never really. Well, it also it presents both societies with an equal amount of flaws, right? Which I found really fascinating. Like, it doesn't lampoon Southern America. Right. The South. And it doesn't lampoon uh, the North. I mean, it doesn't overly do either. Right. But it definitely, like, operates in stereotypes. Definitely. And they basically just establish the premise in the first, like, five minutes of the movie. And then, like, a pretty interesting human drama unfolds. Yeah. Like, mostly between... Uh, cousin Vinny and his fiance, uh, played right. brilliantly by Marissa Tomei, uh, for which she received a Best Supporting Actress award, um, right. which is just crazy considering how those awards are typically yeah. handed out. And like the Karate Kid, all but disappears except for like medium shots where he's sitting in the background. Yeah, it's true. Feeling feeling either good or bad about something that Joe Pesci said. <laughs> uh. And the judge is uh, Fred Gwynn, who played uh, oh Herman Munster. You can tell by his his very long face in this movie. Yeah, his protruding jawline. Yep. Oh, my God. He's incredible. Yeah, he is really good. Um, this is such a fine role for him. But, yeah, I mean, I spent most of this movie just sort of, and I watched it with my girlfriend so I can say this, and it could be because she said it first. I was basically just staring at Marissa Tomei, who is just, like, stunning in she this movie. She is unbelievable. And I'm really glad you said that because there was there's this moment where, I can't remember what moment it is, where Joe Pesci has a nice moment in court, and she just, oh, it's where he's got the tape measure out, and he's at, he's proving that the woman who has seen the crime can't see well in her current glasses and marissa tomei just turns back toward the judge and whips her hair and i paused it and took my laptop over to sarah and was just like tell me this is the most beautiful thing you've ever seen um she did she appreciate she that? did yeah um yeah just on an aesthetic yeah level. that like one second of motion yeah she is just she is amazing and charming and beautiful in this and that's kind of actually what the movie is about it's a movie that like climaxes in um the two billy really the two of them having a moment of chemistry they have all these moments of chemistry and then their best moment of chemistry is the movie basically it's a bullshit question does that mean that you can't answer it it's a bullshit question it's impossible to answer impossible because you don't know the answer nobody could answer that question your honor i move to disqualify miss Beto as an expert witness can you answer the question? No, it is a trick question. Why is it a trick question? Watch this. 
Because Chevy didn't make a 327 in 55. The 327 didn't come out till 62. And it wasn't offered in the Bel Air with a four-barrel carb till 64. However, in 1964, the correct ignition timing would be four degrees before top dead center. At no point does it, like, go full madcap that, like, you start to kind of, like, find yourself wondering about, like, how the trial is going and what the actual drama is. And yet no one in the story seems that worried that, like, these two young men who are totally innocent and it there appears to be, like, a conspiracy on behalf of, like, the plaintiff. Um, nobody seems that worried about the fact that, like, they're trying to get these two kids killed. Um, so it, it, I think it right. lands oddly between comedy and, like, sort of like a half drama where you care about what's going on. Yeah. I mean, it, it exists in a world that's only like almost like a half step above reality. Yeah. Like it never, you know I mean, you never see any like weird, like there's no weird moments with animals. Uh, like <laughs> the, there's nothing. So like nobody survives like, in like a, some violent act that they shouldn't, right. you know, right. like this movie exists in a real world, but then you have like these interesting, like you said, like cultural or political moments where, you know, they're having that conversation about it took them like three times to properly electrocute like the last guy. Yeah. And then like he says that thing where I told them they should fix it to save on the electricity bill, but whatever. Yeah. And it's like, okay, so this movie definitely is, it's trying to make a point, I think. And it was sort of an interesting early nineties point. What, what, what's the point? What, what about early nineties? I mean, it's definitely like a, I mean, I think at that point, the zeitgeist was very much like thinking about the death penalty. I mean, like that oh, was, sure, sure. was that not around the time that like that was sort of, I think it was repealed in a couple of places. Yeah. Dead Man Walking came out a few years after this. Yeah, Green Mile yeah. a few years after that. So I think that was definitely like part of the, the conversation at that point. Sure. And I think it's highlighted in this movie sort of like odd asides. Yeah. The whole movie like is based on this sort of like really funny premise that if you keep watching it, Joe Pesci will like do something interesting at the end. Yeah. Oh, that's absolutely it. It just ends up being like a validation of this nice relationship between these two nice people. Like that's the whole point. Well, I think it's also really interesting just like talking about why this movie is so appealing is the fact that like the couple, the coupling of Joe Pesci and Marissa Tomei is so like entertaining and they like the chemistry between them as you said before is like palpable oh absolutely so much so that like most establishing shots or at least the second shot into new scenes is them in like a very intimate sort of like body pretzel yeah <laughs> like like they're in that car they're in a variety of hotel rooms you know, there's always, they're always like touching each other and they're always yeah. like interacting in this like very sort of, I almost like if the movie had been like a touch darker, like I would almost venture to say like slightly unhealthy relationship. Sure. And, and to bounce off that, we're talking about a beautiful young, like Italian American, like very Brooklyn, old Brooklyn right. woman. And and, and a fifty year yeah, a fifty year old man who's best known for freaking out and murdering people in Martin Scorsese movies, and they work right. so well or together. Terrorizing like an eight year old child, <laughs> yeah. both in Chicago and New York City. Yep. Like, it, but it's such a good. It's one of those like rare moments where, and I feel like it's coming up soon. Did you see that movie trailer for uh, like the Lake Bell Simon Pegg blind date movie? No, I haven't. Oh, well, it's kind of a similar role, I would say. I mean, I think the premise is, like, a little bit more interesting in this one. But, like, you take a beautiful woman who doesn't realize she's a beautiful woman and pair it up with, like, a comedian slash funny character actor. Yeah. And I think you... Who's, like, normal looking. And I think you get, uh, you know, a pretty interesting result. And I feel like this movie sort of wrote the book on that. Yeah. Um. I guess last thing I would say before I rate it, and this is like sort of one of my overarching things, like why we're interested in these movies. Um, I mean, not only are we interested in the justice part of the justice system, but I think, I think even a movie as sort of that can get as silly as my cousin Vinny 
I think we like the idea that these lawyers who are out of their depth can still succeed because we like to see our justice system as like an extension of like a democracy and that as an extension of like a representative democracy. We're like really like anyone who is on the right side of the law and the right side of a cause can come into this place that um, has all of these all of these complex rules and customs and can still like really succeed right. and win the day. I think I would also call this one good bad because I appreciate how dare you sorry because I appreciated it for all the reasons that we've gone over but I think if someone was like hey should I watch my cousin Vinny I would be like you know what you should do is find like maybe a 15 20 minute supercut of like just the scenes that uh, Marissa and Joe have together and that ought to do it. This is one of those frequent times where chance is just remarkably wrong. Uh-huh. Um, this movie is good, good, okay. and has the kind of watchability that you could just pop it on. Oh, I think it's so slow. I accidentally rented it on my phone in addition to on my television, <laughs> and I may watch it again. I I thought it was I thought it was fine. I, I'm going to if just to tell you about it now that you've said that. <laughs> But I would put it on again in like a couple of years. Maybe like if I need that movie for like sleepy TV and I see it on Netflix or HBO Go. Come on. All right. Well, should we get to a few good men? Oh, God, I thought you would never ask. Lastly, we're going to talk about another 1992 courtroom drama, A Few Good Men. This. Uh... God damn it, this movie. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. This uh, is Aaron Sorkin's first screenplay based on his play uh, directed by Rob Reiner. It stars Tom Cruise, Demi Moore, Jack Nicholson, Kevin Pollack, Kevin Bacon, everyone. It's even got knee bomb in it. (laughs) I couldn't remember who you texted. I knew the character, but I couldn't remember. Oh, J.T. Walsh. (laughs) Damn. (laughs) Dude. J- I, I know a J.T. Walsh performance when I see one. I was glad he uh, did the job himself before he was assassinated in this one. Um, yeah. So. In t- instead of three shots center mass, it was one to the back of the brainstem. good joke it's just a shame that jt walsh himself probably wouldn't get it oh he died right after the making of the negotiator he did yeah oh that sucks i i think it just adds to his mystique (laughs) okay um so this movie a few good men uh i'll give it my best shot uh it's it's actually let me say out front that it is a drama with a capital D, not a mystery. So, like, one of the things about this movie that, like, you notice right away, even if you've seen it, like, three times, like I have, you, like, you're, I I was surprised again to find out that, like, you know who the bad guys are and, like, what the issue is immediately. So, uh, a couple of Marines um, serving at Guantanamo uh, basically... I think you know that they beat this guy and he dies. And the central hook of this movie is the court-martial trial in which those two uh, Marines are tried for the beating um, by Tom Cruise, who's like an ace naval lawyer who specializes, though, in plea bargains, not uh, courtroom He's not like a trial lawyer. Right. He's just handling like the misdemeanors like that these military or these Navy guys like happen to. Yeah. And he's cleaning them up really nicely. And he has like an odd couple thing going with Demi Moore, who is uh, much more straight laced than him. And she's more on the investigative side of things as opposed to like the hotshot law school side of things. And they basically kind of chase this crime up the ladder, defending the two Marines to see if the the beating called a code red in 
in marine lingo uh, was sent down from uh, the colonel, Nathan Jessup, who's played by uh, Jack Nicholson. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Son, we live in a world that has walls, and those walls have to be guarded by men with guns. Who's gonna do it? You? You, Lieutenant Weinberg? I have a greater responsibility than you can possibly fathom. You weep for Santiago and you curse the Marines. You have that luxury. You have the luxury of not knowing what I know, that Santiago's death, while tragic, probably saved lives, and my existence, while grotesque and incomprehensible to you, saves lives. You don't want the truth because deep down in places you don't talk about at parties. You want me on that wall. You need me on that wall. Where do you want to begin? Do you want to begin with the biggest question that I have of this film? <laughs> I think I have to say yes now, so go ahead. Why does the movie like weirdly flash back to the Jack Nicholson like scene? The first Jack Nicholson scene. So basically, this is not spoiling anything. The first scene of the movie is you see the attack. Yes. And then you have like some of like the Tom Cruise to me more introductory stuff. And then the movie flashes back to a scene that happened before right. the event took place. And then it cuts back to present time. I definitely was imagining versions of this movie that are more captivating because you don't know that he ordered the code red. And of course, you know that Colonel Jessup ordered the code red because it flashes back for no reason. Well, that's the I disagree with your the, the premise of that argument, because I think that. I don't know. I. I think, like, that's the whole point of the movie, though, is that you it's not a mystery. I mean, like, you said this earlier, and, I don't know, those dramatic moments feel like they're more... I don't know. I mean, I kind of respected this movie for not, you know, focusing on, like, the, oh, finding out little yeah. pieces of information and putting a puzzle together. Because you know that this guy ordered this... He didn't order it, though. He, like, insinuated things. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's the whole point of the movie is that you see this event happen that, like, is unexplainable in a legal sense. And then the rest of the movie has to figure out, like, what it is. So I disagree with your premise that it should have been, like, more of a thriller slash mystery if that's what you're implying. I think I'm just implying that it, it you know, could have, like, had those elements instead of, like, making itself, like, chased of them. I was curious why Aaron Sorkin is, like, interested in this, you know? Yeah, that was my big question, too. Like, I mean, if you look at the things that he's done, especially, like, the Sorkin that we've come to know the last, like, 10, 15 years, it's it's interesting that, like, he would be intrigued by, like, something, proceedings that are, like, this niche, kind of. Um, right. Like, that's really odd. But then the energy of this movie is interesting, especially because it was his first thing and it was a play first. It's kind of like right. he doesn't know quite yet what he can, like, collaborate with the director on in terms of, like, the movie basically, like, clinging to the dialogue. And so it's, of course, it's, like, snappy and the dialogue is entertaining as hell and it's very fast. But the movie isn't cut um, or made in such a way that it's completely subservient to that because he kind of doesn't know how movies work yet. Um, right. But then the energy is like really pure too. I would say like he's basically the, mm -hmm. this movie basically puts a certain kind of righteousness on trial in favor of another kind of righteousness. Right. And playing into your point too about like him not understanding the mechanics of filmmaking, I just think it's funny that. Most of the major drama of the movie is people entering or people exiting. Yeah, that's true. Like, that's the basic visual style yeah. of the movie. Like, there's no special effects yep. beyond, I don't think at all. And there's no real action. And yeah, and most of the scenes are in rooms, and then things happen when people enter, and things happen when people leave. It's super theatrical. Um, right, which is the essence of a play, so that's sort of... That makes sense. Yeah. And then it's interesting bouncing off that to think about like you, if he had made this movie 10 years later with not Rob Reiner, it, it would have been 
really different. Um, in some ways, I think it might have yeah. been worse. Um, but like, it's. Oh, I definitely could have seen like a Brian De Palma like really fucking this one yeah, up. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's interesting. Like, yeah, Rod Reiner like is very laissez fair well, he's a writer's director yeah laissez fair is not quite it but he just kind of stays out of the way and it's like kind of stupid at sometimes because like the musical cues in this movie are horrible oh my god really really bad it's what's really like dated like 80s like synth stuff mm-hmm. and like some sort of weird like maybe pop hits that i don't recognize yeah um and then, and then it's just like, you know, after a while, you're just like, Rob Reiner, like, are you are playing it, like, so obviously safe by the fact that you just show a different Washington, D.C. landmark every time we need to, like, cut to a different scene. Um, now, back in Washington. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, like, really, you know, he just stays out of the way, and, like, the, the one really good thing I think he does is in the climactic scene, the camera upward on Cruz's face from Nicholson's perspective is like a brilliant, is a brilliant move. But otherwise like he's really not a part of this. He doesn't, um, I mean, we just reviewed uh, Steve jobs and like, that's like Danny Boyle bending over backward to aid and abet everything that like Aaron Sorkin has created about this movie. And it's interesting to see a young Sorkin and a director who like cares about the writing, but kind of doesn't kind of doesn't. Well, I mean, think about it. Like, Sorkin is such, like, a... I would not want to direct a Sorkin movie because Sorkin thinks in, like, these very sort of... I mean, the only, I mean Fincher pulled it off with Social Network. Yeah. But, like, just think of, like, if you look at one of his scripts, like, if someone handed you a script of his movies and you didn't have a visual concept in mind, it's just people going in and out of rooms, man. Yeah. Like, there's nothing really to do. Like, in a visual sense. So if you're a David Fincher, you just, like, embrace, like, how frenetic that is and, like, how claustrophobic it is. And if you're Danny Boyle, you, like, put a spaceship on a wall for no reason. (laughs) And if you're Rob Reiner, you just set up the camera and let these, like, pretty fucking electric actors do their thing. Absolutely. And the actors are super electric. Tom Cruise is like I think this is one of the best performances he's ever given. This is absolutely like and it, it's just like the ethos of Tom Cruise like this is this is everything, right? He is arrogant, he is fast talking, he is most importantly correct, like the thing that he like <laughs> he needs to be right and everything. He is right. right. And then you find out that someone has underestimated this arrogant, fast-talking young man, well, he can go even further. Like, it plays into everything that Tom oh, yeah. Cruise loves about himself and audiences love about Tom Cruise. Yeah, and it's... and and But I feel like once you get past that, too, like, his even, like, it's just a well-written character. Like, Aaron Sorkin writes really compelling male characters. Right. And you really sort of buy into, like, him succeeding and, like, what the moral choice is for him to do here. I mean, he's so good with that. I mean, like, that's, you know, like, West Wing 101, ultimately. And that's, like, what Jeff Daniels' character, like, sort of goes through in the newsroom. And, like, what Steve Jobs. And, like, he creates characters that, like, you don't know what success really means because you're too close to them. Sure. But once again, with our second straight Sorkin movie, again, Demi Moore is so good, and this movie made me so sad that like I haven't seen her in anything in like twenty right. twenty years. Um, but it is once again a good, responsible woman who's simply part of the plot to bring out the best in a man who can't yet see his full potential. Um, Absolutely, oh, Aaron. Um, yeah. Whatever. But it's again. But it's so. It's it's such a perfect, like, Demi Moore role. Yeah, I know. Because she's, like, I mean, th- that was sort of the point, too, with her career faltering. It's, like, she's not a very good actress, but, like, Aaron Sorkin's dialogue is so good that, boy, will she convince you that she's at least an okay one. You don't think she's pretty good? As, like, an actress? As, not as an actress, but as a movie star. As someone who has seen her work, I can honestly say no all right then something wrong again haven't i i was just wondering why two guys have been locked up since this morning while their lawyers outside hitting a ball we need to practice 
That wasn't funny. It's a little funny. Can I go out on a limb and say that I, and maybe it's just as I've seen so many, like, you know, it's on, it'll be on the Oscar montage or whatever, just like Jack Nicholson doing the you can't handle the truth Mm -hmm. scene. Can I just say that I didn't find his performance as dynamic as I thought I might? I mean, I hope you use that word purposefully because he's not dynamic. Like, I think that's sort of the point of his character. That line to me will never now not feel out of context, if that makes sense. Right. Like, I watch the movie and it's just like, why did you yell that? Even Right. That was my question, too, with it. It's like it's such an iconic line, but it's so preposterous. It is. Because, like, two seconds later when he yells, you're goddamn right I did, like, I am, like... I've like someone has hit the button for my ejector seat. Like I'm still so fucking excited um, by some of the other stuff he says and the monologue he has where uh, you have to, you have to ask me nicely um, when they visit him on in Guantanamo is terrifying, but yeah, yeah, he's not dynamic. He's just, and this is, well, this is the thing though, that I think that this is the beginning of old Nicholson kind of like rule and like this is what you see with old actors it's just like oh we get what you're good at and maybe if we can distill that in a certain way it'll be really exciting but like we probably won't ask you to do anything after a certain point with more than one note and he doesn't have to do anything with more than one note in this movie right yeah i think it's interesting too and talking about sorkin movies that i mean sorkin always like has a way of portraying like a character with a code and like having some respect for that code, but ultimately like the movie decides that his code is pretty stupid. And I feel like that ultimately, I mean, that became like the like sort of right wing media in the newsroom. And that's sort of like the white privileged people from uh, the Winkle Vie from social network. Uh, So they're not even white. It's waspy. Like he's sort of, I don't know. He takes on sort of like these interesting conservative like groups yeah. art and, like, how and Moneyball, old right. baseball yeah and this and these sort of yeah conservative thing he takes on conservatism in any form <laughs> yeah he's sort of he's sort of you know nice to it he's sympathetic to it but he ultimately like goes out of his way to show that it's stupid yes that's a i think that's a really smart point and it actually kind of clarifies one of my opening questions like why would he I think what's curious about why he would make this movie is when he takes on that conservative and conservatism from like a really broad point of view like the point of view of all technology or financial success like you can like see where his sniper rifle is pointed this is interesting because like he takes on like a certain kind of right-wing thinking within a system that you already understand to be right-wing so it feels really specific um but that was yeah you're totally right that really clarified that for me that's interesting well you're Mm -hmm. welcome i don't know how i ultimately feel about this movie because and i think aaron sorkin is hit and miss you don't say even his even his misses he manages to make seem like they're pretty great sure at least bad good. And I can't at least bad well yeah, you're right. Bad good in some ways. <sighs> yeah. I don't know. Like no matter what Aaron Sorkin does, I'll argue that is it's entertaining. But like ultimately this is a movie with people like saying things that no people would really say. Yeah. Yelling at each other in a pretty like typical courtroom drama. But it has oh. so much star power, and it's so electric. So electric. I'm going to have to give it a good good. Me too. I, but I, like, I definitely have my reservations about well, this movie. Yeah, I think you have to. The end of it is goddamn ridiculous. Like the very end oh. where the uh, – we I guess we can spoil this one by your logic too since it's also from 1992. But like where the – the main Marine on trial, everyone's just like, we did our job today. And he's like, no, like we were bullies. And so like, what it's interesting how he, 
that's like almost bookended with um, when uh, what's his name. Kevin Pollack has like basically the same speech. Yeah, like half an hour before. It's the bully realizing he's bullied you and then saying he's sorry and never doing it again. Yeah, absolutely. There's some. It's the, got the same energy and the same flaws as any Sorkin script. It just feels so much more fresh face. It just feels younger. It just feels like someone who's yeah. been to high school more recently. Honestly, yeah. yeah. It's that's a great point. Mm-hmm. Well, so do we have any overarching questions about this genre then? Well, how does Tom Cruise stand up then as far as the the lawyer out of his uh his death? Well, see, I think this one in particular is interesting. Um and if I can nod real quick to the movie that we were going to do but didn't, uh Michael Clayton, um this sort of changes my or shifts my like my theory or my thinking a little bit because Vinny and Jim Donovan are both very much like, Hey, like anyone on the right side can succeed in this situation. Like a Michael Clayton and uh, Daniel Caffey, those characters both sort of speak to the like power and integrity of like what a lawyer is and how, if you insult that you, uh, you basically beg to be like beaten by a very like moral force. Like, Daniel Caffey kicks it into high gear when he finds out that someone has like disrespected the idea of like what a lawyer can do for him. It's just like proving that maybe he isn't so lazy. This is Tom Cruise, but like Vinny is just like, that's a fucking miracle. Sure. Like this guy is not qualified to pull off. It's not like he's not trying, but with Tom Cruise, it's like, he's not even like, he could be a great lawyer. He just chooses not to be. And lawyers, guns, and money Dead, get me out of this No, uh, objection sustained Let's, uh, let's wrap this one up, shall we? Badgering the podcaster <laughs> Permission to treat the podcast is nearly over Uh, granted If you'd like to say hello you can email us at berealguys at gmail.com. We encourage you to visit The Real up and running, berealguys.com. Thank you again, Michael Todd. Uh, Thanks, buddy. Or you can listen to the podcast on SoundCloud or iTunes, and you can see the beautiful mock-up that Michael did for us at uh, berealguys.com. Thanks. Beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you for listening, everyone. Noah, pleasure as always, buddy. You know, I'm just building a birdhouse. And you can't kill the demon, unfortunately, without impaling the good boy. Talk to everyone later.